thankful for the opportunity already to share uh, with the folks uh, at the Sunday School Hour something of the work of Christian Witness to Israel. Um, I better introduce myself a little bit more fully because you're probably looking at this uh, guy and he certainly does not have the same accent as uh, someone that comes from these parts. I uh, don't come from around here, I come from Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, it's uh, a little different than Northwest Arkansas as well, so a little further afield. Um, I've lived in Arkansas for almost six years, but my uh, homeland is Northern Ireland, and the accent is changing, and uh, it changes pretty much wherever I go, so uh, hopefully uh, it'll be as understandable as possible, but um, also I just am so happy to be among you to uh, meet with the Lord's people and just make so many new friends. I do travel a lot on behalf of the work of Christian Witness to Israel. And, and my real desire in all the travels is uh, to build up the body of Christ and to stir the Lord's people to the mission to which we are called and then very specific in, in our own ministry to our calling to the Jewish people. So I appreciate the, the prayers already in the service uh, that the Word of God would go forth to our Jewish neighbors around us. Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, I want to read from verse 1 through to verse 9. And consider specifically, as you see in your bulletin, the mercy of Messiah. 1 Peter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. May God instruct us from His Word. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's uh, probably the most famous sermon in U.S. history. Um, but the concept, particularly today, 
is largely unknown. To address people today as sinners is a greater sin than sin itself. To express the idea of God being angry, well, uh, it's not just Joel Osteen that has a problem with that. It's a foreign concept, sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's a foreign concept to our liberal, secular world. But also, as we were sharing in the, the Sunday school hour, this is a foreign concept to our Jewish neighbors. Before we get into 1 Peter, can I ask you just to flick back a few pages in your Scriptures to Romans 10 and Romans 11? Just really to springboard from Romans 10 and 11 into 1 Peter. Romans 10, 31. Romans 10, 21. Sorry, 21. There we go. Of Israel, he says, all day long... I have held out my hand to a disobedient and obstinate and contrary people. And then Romans eleven thirty one. They have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. In other words, this disobedient people, this obstinate, this contrary people, this Jewish people, in the Lord's redemptive will and purpose, have been disobedient in order that you may get mercy. Now, when we were looking at the Sunday school hour at Psalm 67, they prayed for us 3,000 years ago that we might, that the nations of the world might come to know the God of Israel. And so, in the Lord's amazing redemptive purposes, their failure was our riches was our blessing. They have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy, says Romans eleven thirty one. In other words, the Gentile believers getting it is not the end of the story. The climax, in fact, is that the Gentiles get it to bring it back to the Jewish people. They have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may receive mercy. In other words, it is the exemplified mercy of God in us that is to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. Now, we live in a very secular day, but even within the church, we live in a very easy believism day saturated with sugar-coated entitlement preaching or psychological pick-me-up preaching. Who needs mercy? You do. I do. But I want us to really think today, have we grasped what mercy really is? Have we grasped what the mercy of the Messiah is? And so we find in 1 Peter this apostle to the Jews, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, though not exclusively, because he went to every synagogue he could find. Peter was the apostle to the Jews, though not exclusively. But Peter is writing his letter largely to a Jewish audience, and he opens this letter with the stunning mercy of God 
in its root and its fruit so that the readers of Jewish and Gentile stock would be amazed at the mercy of God. And, and that's my purpose this morning, for us to be stunned at the mercy of God and then live it and exemplify it to the provocation even of unbelievers, Jewish and Gentile, who are living dangerously in the hands of a holy God. Also by way of introduction, uh, we need to note that um, Peter was believed to have been martyred A.D. 67 in Rome under Nero. Uh, some of the scholars would suggest that the end of uh, 1 Peter 5 1 Peter 5.13, she who is at Babylon sends you greetings, suggesting that uh, as Babylon destroyed Jerusalem in 586, 587, 586 B.C., so Babylon stroke Rome was going to destroy Jerusalem in A.D. 66 and 70 that our Lord uh, prophesied. So Peter is writing from Rome in his final days. He's addressing believers, uh, most likely Jewish believers, in Asia Minor and modern Turkey. Remember, this is 30 plus, 30 to 40 years after the death of Christ. The church is largely Jewish. There are some Gentiles, yes, and it's expanding into Gentile territory, but the early, early church was Jewish. And Jesus had prophesied, Jerusalem is going to fall, and some had fled. And so these are the elect exiles of the dispersion. And again, if you, uh, for your homework, flick into Acts chapter 2, you'll find a lot of these places are in Acts chapter 2 when all the Jewish people gathered for Pentecost. And Peter, again, preached Christ on the day of Pentecost to a lot of people from these areas. And, and they went back and they set up the Jewish communities of Jesus followers to whom the God-fearing Gentiles were gathering in as well. And so Peter's letter, with a lot of allusions to the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, is, is suggestive of this Jewish audience, and it's appropriate for us as we Gentiles buy into this. We can rejoice in these wonderful things, and we can also see that this is the very mercy that we are to show, that by the mercy shown to us, they also may receive mercy. All that to say, this is an appropriate passage for us. I want to draw our attention to three things uh, in verses, particularly verses 3 through 9. First of all, I want to see the method of this mercy. Then I want us to look at the magnitude of this mercy. And then thirdly, the mission of the mercy. First of all, the method of this mercy. We read there in verse 3, according to, according to, He has caused us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, the method of this mercy is twofold. It is death and life. You know, we, we don't believe in cheap 
grace. We don't believe in cheap mercy. This is not a coin in the coffer rings, the soul from Purgatory Springs. This is not a sign the card mercy. This is not God winking at sin mercy. There is an according to, there is a method of this mercy. There is a death according to, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we are coming up to Easter week as we very specifically remember such things. We need to remember also that Jewish religion prior to Christ, prior to Christianity, and Christianity is Jewish, as Edith Schaefer wrote the book. Um, but prior to Christ, Jewish religion smelt of death. From the first moment, uh, first you know, days in, in the garden, we may say. An animal had to die to cover Adam's nakedness. And so, animals had to die symbolically, sacrificially, to, to cover the sinners that were in the hands of an angry God. So, Judaism, prior to the fall of Jerusalem, was a blood-drenched religion that touched the senses. They could see death, they could smell death, they could hear death, they could touch death, they would speak of death. But Peter on the day of Pentecost, and now Peter in this letter, is declaring a different death, a once-for-all death, the death of death, in the death of Jesus Christ. So the mission of, or the, rather the method of this mercy is the death of the Messiah. But not just the death, as we read here, the resurrection from the dead. And now we live with our Jewish neighbors around us. They don't have any sacrifices. Sometimes people ask me, well, do Jewish people sacrifice today? No, they don't. They can't. Post-A.D. 70, temple was destroyed. They don't have any sacrifices. But the rabbis are pretty inventive. And so the rabbis have invented, well, Psalm 51 says, a broken and contrite spirit uh, you will not despise. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit. And so enter a new form of Jewish religion, non-death, non-blood sacrifice, but just Jewish penance. Just feel sorry. Just feel sorry and put a few coins in the coffer to show your real penance. Now, we haven't time to do a detailed exegesis of Psalm 51, but, but it's clear that the Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God, a broken and contrite spirit, that's within the context of Davidic worship, Solomonic worship. It's in the context of right sacrifices and bulls offered on your altar, Psalm 51, 17. So it's not without blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins, Leviticus. So we tell our Jewish friends, what sacrifice do you have without Christ? They have no blood sacrifice. Now when we reduce mercy to a stylized sinner's prayer or some form of Roman penance or Jewish penance or even Protestant penance, when we reduce it to a divine obligation that God has to forgive because I did this, we do a disservice to the method of mercy. And the method of mercy is death and resurrection 
life. There was an old Scottish guy who was being interviewed for membership at the church, and uh, the uh, elders were interviewing him and giving him a grilling. He was, he was pretty illiterate. But the elders were saying, oh, have you grasped uh, a substitutionary atonement, and have you grasped this doctrine and, and that doctrine? And he said, I, I, I don't know, but he die, I know die. He no die, I die. And the elders welcomed him into membership of the church. The, mem the method of this mercy is he die. I know die. The death of the well-beloved son who would take death captive, who would crush the serpent's head. So sinners in the hands of an angry God can rejoice that we are in the hands of a God of mercy. So we wanted to look at the method of mercy. Secondly, the magnitude of mercy. The magnitude of mercy. And we find it again in the text. I want us to think it under two headings. First of all, in general, and then in the specifics. Verse 3 says, it's a great mercy. It's a great mercy. I am a great sinner, but God is a great Savior. There's the real sinner's prayer right there, is it not? The greatness of the mercy is, is marked by the greatness of the debt. And my debt is before a holy God, before an infinitely holy God, and my debt is infinite. So how can I pay that? How can the blood of bulls and goats pay that? But the mercy of the infinite Son of God is the payment of that infinite debt. John Brown um, Edinburgh pastor in the early 1800s has a great commentary, an expositional commentary on 1 Peter, and uh, just a couple of headings that he brings forth. He says, think on the nature of the blessings. Well, we're going to do that in a moment. Think on the character of those on whom they are bestowed. Think on the means through which the blessings are communicated. And the means is the method that we've already just looked at. A parallel passage to 1 Peter is, is Ephesians chapter 2, and it speaks of God being rich in mercy and, and uh, the character in which that mercy is bestowed, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were children of wrath. We were sons of disobedience. That's the ones to whom God brings forth His mercy. That is us, Jew and Gentile. And He has made us alive, and He's saved us, and He's seated us with Christ, and He's showing us the even greater riches of His kindness. It is a great mercy in the general sense, and it's glorious in the specific sense. Now, we haven't time to, again, deal with them in depth, but just let's walk through them. What are the specifics of the magnitude of this? According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. One of the specifics, one of the magnificent specifics is the new birth. That those who come to know the Lord Jesus Christ are given a new birth. The promise of Ezekiel 36 to the Jewish people is of sprinkling, is of giving a new heart, of giving a new spirit, of causing to walk in the statutes of God. That's what Peter preached on 
on the day of Pentecost, that which Peter is, is referring to in this letter to his Jewish people, you know, being born again is a Jewish thing. It's not a churchy thing. It's there in Ezekiel 36. You remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus just couldn't get his head around this. Born, born again, you have to go back into the womb and be born again. No, Nicodemus, you are Israel's teacher, and you don't know these things? Have you not read Jeremiah 31? It's going to be a new covenant, part two. If you never read Ezekiel 36, there's going to be a sprinkling. There's going to be the, the new breath that is put within you. This is the mercy. This is the, the mercy of, the, of which this Jewish guy, Peter, is speaking of. And our Jewish friends don't get it. Unless you are born anew, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And sadly, instead of telling Jewish people, as some missions so-called do. Instead of telling Jewish people, well, everything is well, you're Jewish, you're chosen, you're going to heaven. No, they are lost, and they need to be born again according to Ezekiel 36 and according to Jeremiah 31. And that's what the Jewish disciple Peter does, and that's what we should do as well. The magnitude of this mercy is in its specific, magnificent, in the new birth, in the living hope caused us to be born again to the living hope. The longing of the Jewish people is for a hopeful shalom of peace and wellness. They long for that. If you examine Jewish life in the U.S., you will see much of their, their activity and their longing is, is either to create educationally or financially uh, wellness. They want peace, and they're very philanthropic, even for world peace. Or go to Jewish Hollywood, and you'll find them creating superheroes, and superman, and superwoman, and creating someone that's going to bring peace to the world. But this is where it is. This is where we have a living hope. It's not some worldly person. The hope of the gospel is the real hope to which we must bring our Jewish friends. You know, the Jewish people living in Germany in the 1930s were such optimists. They loved Germany. They had such hopes for German life and German culture. But German sin smashed those hopes. They didn't have their best life now. And they could see all the ugly nature of the diabolical hatred of anti-Semitism. But it was too late because they, they had thought in the brotherhood of man and they had thought in the wonders of Germanic culture and their hopes turned into Holocaust. And even as we were talking in the Sunday school hour, many of them believe and many of them are atheists today because God died in Germany in the 30s and 40s. But really, the Holocaust fires were very little different from 586 B.C. when Jeremiah wrote his Lamentations. And there was death in the streets, and there were babies in the streets, and there was starvation in the streets, and Jeremiah wept 
until he could weep no more. And it's not enough for us to tell our Jewish neighbors, don't worry, be happy, just you can have your best life now. We need to tell them a real and living hope. That's what Peter, the Jewish apostle, tells them. That because of this mercy, in its mission, in its method, in its magnitude, there is a new birth, a living hope, an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading. You know, when the Jewish people were fleeing the Holocaust, they took their gold and, and they took their diamonds and, and, and they sold them for a piece of bread. All gold and silver and precious stones and monetary gain will rot and fade. We die empty-handed and naked, all of us. But there is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. There's a safe box in heaven kept for you, my believing friend, kept for you, my Jewish friend, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things as you study the uh, immigration of the Jewish people to the U.S., it started very much as a Spanish immigration uh, way back in the early 1600s. Uh, they were getting kicked out of Europe. They were getting kicked out of Catholic countries. And they came, and, and very specifically and providentially, it's wonderful to see, as I said this morning, uh, earlier, six million Jewish people are living here. The first Jewish community came here on a ship out of Recife, Brazil, 23 Jewish souls that were being kicked out of Portuguese-owned Brazil. And they limped up along the coastline, and they came in to New Amsterdam because they were going to find a safe haven in New Amsterdam because Holland being reformed was an open door to our Jewish friends. They were being kicked out of Catholic countries, but they were being welcomed by reformed countries. So they limped into New Amsterdam. New Amsterdam, some 10 years later, became New York. So 23 Jewish souls is now 2 million in New York and its surrounding regions. And as the Spanish came, and then the German Jews came, and then the Eastern European and Russian-speaking Ashkenazi Jews came, one of the very specific things they taught their kids was portable wealth, because they might get kicked out of another country. And that portable wealth was education. And so they got good at it. And we see very capable Jewish people around our nation today, because they knew that their certainty was, uh, was rather uncertain. And so they would have portable wealth, perhaps, for the future. But again, the sad reality is that's not enough. We want to tell them about an inheritance that is imperishable. Some of them set up in the land. As I said this morning, 42% of Jewish people live here. 45% live in the land of Israel. Some of them went to the land an inheritance. Some of them are longing for that shalom and are finding it's the land of the free for them, the land of Israel. But even there, that's not enough. And my friends, again, we need to get this straight with regard to Jewish mission. The land is not enough. They need the Lord. It's not enough for us to pay for Jewish people to get back to the land. The land cannot save. 
My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they will be saved. And so an inheritance of a piece of dirt is not enough. We are, to, we are brought to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. Peter's talking to his Jewish friends and saying, there's the land that you are going to. That's your ultimate inheritance. There is a land of pure delight where saints' immortal reign and infinite day excludes the night and pleasures banish pain. That's the land that we want to show to our Jewish friends and neighbors. The method of the mercy, death and life, the magnitude of the mercy in its general, its great, and in its specifics, as we have read through. But finally, the mission of this mercy. The mission of this mercy. First of all, it is protection unto perseverance. From being sinners in the hands of an angry God, we, as we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile, we are saved sinners in the hands of a merciful God. And where better to be, my friends, today? Verse 5, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. You are being garrisoned. What a glorious thing to present to our unbelieving friends, Jew and Gentile, to have the garrisoning of God about us in this uncertain and broken and fallen world. My Jewish friends, you can have this. This is what Peter, the Jewish guy, is telling his Jewish friends who are elect exiles of the dispersion and telling us this is the mercy that you have got, so exemplify it to a broken and fallen world. You, my friends, have the garrison of God around you. When you look at the entourage that follows kings and popes and presidents, I remember when, uh, I think it was Bill Clinton visiting Northern Ireland, and uh, my mother went up to Belfast to, to see the president as he did uh, his walkabout. I don't know uh, why I didn't go. I must have had something far more important than that. <laughs> but my mother went, and she uh, told me the story, and it's, it's somewhat humorous, but she is seeing all these henchmen with their dark glasses. Uh, they're uh, guarding the president, and uh, she sort of speaks to one of these persons that pretty much hasn't got much of a, of a character as, as they're not meant to interact very much. But us Ulster folk, we talk to, to most people. So she said, well, you know, what would happen if I ran to the president? You know, would you arrest me? And uh, the guy said, no, ma'am, I would just have to shoot you. <laughs> In other words, he's protected. He's garrisoned. And you know the wonder of this mercy? The mission of God's mercy in the death of the Son of His love is to garrison you, is to guard you. You remember Jesus in the night in which He was betrayed, what His prayer was, John 17? I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. To have the Son of God praying for us when He's going to go to His death, 
for us. And he's praying to the Father. I'm not praying for the world. Those that you have given me, I'm praying for them. Because the mission of that mercy is a protection unto perseverance. The perseverance of the saints is a glorious doctrine. It is the perseverance of God with us sinning saints. You remember Jesus looking out on Jerusalem, saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I would, have, I would have gathered you as a hen gathered her chicks, but you were not willing. But in the mission of God, in the mission of Christ, even to his Jewish brothers, and Peter is bringing this message, the mission is, Yes, I would have gathered you. And yes, by my death and my resurrection, I am gathering you. My Jewish brothers, my Gentile brothers. The mission of this mercy is protection unto perseverance. It is also promotion unto perfection. We read that in verse 5. Promotion unto perfection. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And verse 9, you are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, God, God just doesn't wink at sin as if it's not serious. The mission of this mercy in its root and in its fruit is the eradication of our old nature and promoting us by bringing us to perfection that we might be in the very likeness of Jesus Christ that we might be like Him. Joel Osteen can't give us that with a self-induced, self-interested, uh, smiley outlook in life and have my best life now and every day of Friday. I was thinking of writing a book saying you can have your worst life now. Not sure it would sell very many copies, but if I did, I would maybe write a second book every day on Monday. <laughs> um, that false gospel can't deal with my problem. But this gospel does. And the mission of this mercy is a promotion unto perfection. And in my flesh, I shall see God. And without holiness, no man shall see God. But that's what Jesus does. You're obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And so the third point, and with this I conclude under this third heading, the mission of this mercy is protection unto perseverance. It is promotion unto perfection. And thirdly, it is happiness unto holiness. It is happiness unto holiness. We read in verse 6 that, let me just find verse 6, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. You know, <laughs> there's a sense in which, yeah, you can have your best life now. This is it. In this you rejoice. But the best is yet to come. But Jesus indeed said to us, did he not? Jesus indeed said to his Jewish disciples, I have come that you might have life and have it abundant. And you believe in him, verse 8. And you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. How many Dure and, and, and crestfallen Christians have you met? How many Christians 
you, that you look at and you say, have you never smiled in life? <laughs> we need to be people of joy. If, if this mercy has gripped us, then, as I've said right at the beginning, we are to exemplify this, and we are filled with a joy that is inexpressible. It is my happiness unto holiness. It is my being a sinner molded in the hands of a holy God. Robert Murray McShane always had that prayer, wasn't he? Uh, didn't he? He said, my people's greatest need is my own personal holiness. This is your need. And this is the most effective way to evangelize our Jewish neighbors and our Gentile neighbors. It is that this grips us and that we live in this holiness and this happiness so that people say, why are you smiling? What is, what is, what have you got? You know, Jewish people will, will be struck by that and have been struck by that to some of my colleagues and friends. What have you got that I haven't got? Can you tell me about it? This is the message of mercy that we share with our fallen, lost Jewish neighbors. One story, and, and, and then I'm really done. Those of you who haven't already taken our most recent magazine, uh, please take this uh, Herald magazine. But I want to just read a couple of paragraphs, really, from one of the stories on the inside. And what it is, it's the story of what uh, we did by way of outreach in Israel, and my colleague in, in the Grace and Truth congregation uh, had a Hanukkah outreach to Holocaust survivors. 112 Holocaust survivors came to the congregation. My colleague David Zadok that I showed uh, in the Sunday school hour, he preached, and uh, they were joined by 75 Chinese Christians who traveled to Israel to share the love of Jesus with the survivors, Holocaust survivors. The event included songs sung by the Chinese to the Holocaust survivors, the gospel being preached by David and a Christian leader from the Far East who told the participants, we love you and want you to know that Messiah has come to give you eternal life and his name is Jesus. Trust in him as the only one who can deliver you from darkness. These are Holocaust survivors who had suffered under the Nazis and they're still alive and they're in Israel, but they're in danger because they know not Christ, and there is another fire coming. The Hanukkah event included the traditional distribution of presents. The Chinese Christians provided a bag of presents for each survivor who attended and included a teapot and tea. Of course, it's Chinese. It's China. As well as Hagefen published evangelistic leaflets and booklets, one of which explained how Jesus fulfills Isaiah 53. Joseph, uh, our, our CEO in the UK, says of the outreach, in Romans 10, 19, Paul writes, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. We saw that enviable love demonstrated as tears flowed down joyful Jewish faces from those who had suffered so much hate, of those who had suffered so much hate. What a wonderful change in context into which to preach the gospel. We showed the mercy of the Messiah. To this people, and we pray that they will, before it's too late, come to know their Messiah, our Messiah, and his name is Jesus. Let's bow in a moment's prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the mercy of God to sinners. 
Sinners in the hands of a holy and angry God. But you have dealt even with the Son of your love as He became sin for us, that we in Him might become amazingly the righteousness of God. We pray that this mercy may truly affect us, and may we go from this place to exemplify it and preach it in lip and life to the salvation of those that we come in contact with, of Jew and Gentile. Hear us, help us in our mission, in your mission, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we will give you all the praise and glory through Christ. Amen.